This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, the healing of the woman's son from Nain. It was preached on the 17th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller from Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast or to listen to more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postal. I'm reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio in 1884, a text and translation that's in the public domain. First, the Gospel reading, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. And it came to pass the day after that he, Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up, and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. So far the text. Now Luther's sermon. Much could be said about the gospel lesson of today. We will confine ourselves, however, to but two points. The first is how to find comfort in view of death. For on such comfort and doctrine all depends. The other is the Christian mercy and sympathy which we should exercise one toward another. We here read of a poor widow who, having lost her husband, now also loses her only son, and is in every way miserable and poor. Among the Jews it was considered a misfortune to have no son in the family, because their government was so constituted that a male heir was important. This woman, therefore, is a miserable and afflicted widow, And it looks as if God were her enemy and had forgotten her altogether because he has first taken her husband and now also her son. It would therefore be no wonder if she had despaired of God altogether. Our Lord Jesus Christ cares for this woman, has compassion on her, raises her son from death and restores him to her and causes a rejoicing ten times greater than was the grief. It is indeed a wonder that she did not at once fall down and die for joy. This narrative we should take to heart that it may strengthen and confirm our faith. For Christ our Lord does not have in view the welfare of this woman only. He wants to teach all of us to look upon death as an insignificant thing of which we have no reason to be afraid, but to await death and other misfortunes with a believing and patient heart. Because we are assured of having a Lord who can easily help us and overcome death and other misfortunes. Behold how quickly and easily the woman is delivered after having given up all hope of help. For who would have thought that the deceased son, who was carried to the grave for burial, should be restored to life? After all hope had failed, our dear Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh and does nothing more than say, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And at once the dead man arises and lives. Here we must confess that in the eyes of the Lord death is like life, and that it makes no difference to him whether we live or are dead. For though we had died, for him we are not dead, because he can overcome death and restore life by a single word. Therefore the Lord truly says, 
God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Though Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the other holy patriarchs are dead for us, yet they live unto God. From the gospel of today and from the son and widow, we should learn to perceive the great power which God, through Christ, will apply to us at the last day, when by a word he will recall to life all men and give everlasting salvation to believers. This will be done in the twinkling of an eye in order that we may not doubt in the least either the power of our Lord Jesus to do this or his will to gladly to do it. For here we have the example. The son of the widow is dead. He has lost the gift of hearing in all other senses. But when Christ speaks to him, he hears. This is certainly a strange and wonderful incident. He that does not hear, hears. He that does not live, lives. Nothing is done but that Christ opens his mouth and bids him arise. The single word is so powerful that death has to vanish and life return. But who believes it that Christ can so easily deliver us from death and restore us to life? Yet we see here that he is desirous of doing it. There is no one who asks him for it. He has compassion on the woman in her distress, and without being asked, he approaches the bier and recalls her son to life. Therefore, we should take to heart this example and not be afraid of death, but be comforted by the Lord Jesus. For our sake, he has wrought this miracle. And though he would say to us all, I certainly know that you are afraid of death, but do not be afraid and let your heart be troubled. Though death is terrible, yet what can it harm you? It may terrify you, but learn to avoid judging by your feelings and following your fears. Look upon me and remember what I can do and what I am desirous of doing, namely, that I can raise you from death as easily as you awaken a person out of sleep. And I will do it cheerfully and with pleasure. Neither the will nor the power to do it is lacking. From this it must follow that those lying in the churchyards and under the ground sleep much more lightly than we sleep in our beds. For it may be the case that you sleep very soundly and that you may be called ten times before you hear once, but the dead hear and awaken upon a single word of Christ as we see in the case of the young man and of Lazarus, John 11. Before the Lord, death is no death at all. For us it is called and is death when we die, but before God it is a light sleep which could not be any lighter. These very facts our Lord Jesus wishes to impress upon our minds so that we may not fear when pestilence and death itself draw near, but that we may learn to say, O death, what can you do even in your worst form? You have terrible teeth which you show to frighten me, for I do not like to die. But I will not merely behold your work when you, like an executioner, draw the sword, but I will remember what our Lord can and will do when you have slain me, namely, that he is not afraid of you, and does not care for your raging and destroying, but says, O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. If you can kill my Christians, I can destroy you and recall them to life again. This is the great comfort which the Lord presents to us in the gospel of today, that Christians, though they die, are not dead, but sleep so lightly that Christ can awaken them with a finger. It is a very small honor to death that when he is severest, he can do no more than put a man to sleep. Christ will awaken him from that sleep by a word, as he says, John 5, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. This comfort is enjoyed by Christians. Turks and Jews do not enjoy it, neither do the Papists. They know that they must die and that judgment and hell will follow. But what do they do? They do not place their hearts and hopes upon Christ, but go to meet him with their prayers, masses, indulgences, fastings, and other things. They take Christ for nothing else but a judge who is appointed to judge and condemn. 
It is the work of the devil that men will represent Christ to be worse than death itself, hence they must fear the day of judgment and have a timid and terrified heart. This, however, is not the case with Christians. They know that at the last day Christ will judge the unbelievers who do not accept or believe the word, but with them it is different. They will say, I am baptized and believe in my Lord Jesus Christ who has died for my sins and by his resurrection has acquired for me righteousness and eternal life. Why then should I be afraid? He is not my enemy but my friend and advocate with the Father. Therefore it does not matter if I do die or if the last day comes. My Lord Jesus looks on a little while when death does its work in killing me. <laughs> and when, I, uh, when it thinks me to be dead and its work done, I only sleep and sleeps so sweetly and so lightly that the Lord Jesus scarcely needs to open his mouth before I hear him and arise to eternal life. Then let us learn to know that we need not be afraid of death and the judgment. For Christ has not come to judge and to condemn us. He comes and he came to the poor widow and her son to raise us from the dead and to restore us that we again may hear, see, speak, and do other things. Thus he will come to all of us who believe in him and save us. Only those who do not believe he will judge. Therefore, we should learn to desire this Savior and believe him and become more firm in our confidence of such help and grace and never be afraid of death in the day of judgment. For whoever gives way to fear does not follow the Lord Jesus, but the devil in his own flesh. It is certain that Christ will come at the last day and raise us up from the dead. Therefore, the bodies of Christians sleep in the grave until Christ comes and knocks at the grave, saying, Arise, arise, and we shall arise from a quiet and pleasant sleep and live with the Lord Jesus forever and be happy. Thus should Christians have a different heart from that of Turks, Jews, or Papists. These get discouraged, alarmed, and despairing, and do not know how to help themselves, and it serves them right. Why, why do not the Papists, who call themselves Christians, also learn and believe that Christ is a Savior of believers, but a judge of the unbelievers? If you are a Christian and trust in the Lord Jesus, he will be your physician and help and deliver you from death and the devil. But if you do not trust in him, seeking help somewhere else, as the Pope does and teaches, Christ will be your judge because you are a servant of death and the devil, doing the work of death and the devil. These are enemies of Christ and will do nothing for his kingdom. Therefore, Christ has to act as their judge, whilst to the pious who trust in him, he will give peace and rest in eternity. After this doctrine, which is called the doctrine of faith, we should also learn from Christ to be merciful. You often hear during the year about love and the duty of serving one another. But to be merciful is more. It requires us to have compassion on people in distress. If I have, for instance, a poor and sick neighbor, I should not merely help him, but take his misery to heart as if it were my own, as we here see from the example of our Lord. He is a strange and unknown guest, but when he sees the misery of the widow, he has compassion on her as though the dead son were his own. He weeps with the mother, comforts and helps her. This is the example of love flowing from faith, and such love will not be wanting if faith is the right kind. We should never do like the wicked and reprobate people, whose number is very large also among us, and who seem to have hearts of stone and wood, to laugh at the misfortune of their neighbor, and to feel hurt when they see anyone having a penny. With Christians it should be different. They should have compassion on those in distress and be glad of the welfare of others. As St. Paul says, Rejoice that them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. They should not be like the stones and blocks that glory in the misfortune of others and would like nobody to have anything but themselves. Mercifulness, however, is of two kinds, as also misery is of two kinds, spiritual and bodily. 
When we see people in bodily distress and observe also that they are without help, we should at once hurry to counsel and assist them with any means at our command. Spiritual distress is that which the soul suffers, such as that of a young man who is growing up without the preaching of the word, yea, even despising it, does not pray, is licentious, disobedient, and full of mischief. When such a one is admonished, and when this is without effect, severely rebuked by words or even with a rod, in order that he may be corrected of his sin and his wickedness in time, this we call an act of mercy. For if the soul is afflicted by such faults, it is a great deal worse and more dangerous than if the body is afflicted by disease. Therefore it is our duty to show mercy to such a man, be it by words, rods, or stripes. But it is not that, you may ask, a dreadful mercy, which is applied by a rod upon the body? And yet, what is to be done? When it is necessary, we can do nothing else. Do not physicians sometimes take off an arm or a leg in order to save the body? So it is here. Such punishment we apply for the purpose of doing you good and of delivering you from the devil in his kingdom. It is not so that if you fell into the water and I seized you by the hair and pulled you out, you would thank me and not care for my hurting you in an effort to save your life? If, then, you can suffer to be hurt and suffer it willingly when you are in bodily distress and when it is evident that it is for your own good, why would you think it hard of this case when danger threatens not the temporal but eternal life, not the body, but the soul? Thus also it is a work of mercy which will be rewarded by God to apply severe uh, measures for the correction of wicked children and servants. This is a spiritual salve against the disease of the soul, which may be called disobedience toward father and mother, master or mistress in a family. If then we beheld a man in his misery and help him, it is a work of mercy. This kind of mercy should be exercised by father and mother upon children and servants and by the magistrates in the government of their subjects. They should guard against the unwillingness and the carelessness which are so frequent in applying such mercy. For he who would be merciful by not punishing sin would be guilty of a double unmercifulness against his neighbor and cause God's wrath to come upon him. Bodily misery may also be great as when a person falls into the water or the fire. In such a case, one does not think of laying a hand on him gently so as not to hurt him, but of saving him. Why then should we deal gently only in the case of spiritual misery? Therefore, we should apply, if need be, sharp words, hard stripes, and great earnestness in order to save poor people from the net of the devil and to make them obedient. Therefore, take to heart the example of our dear Lord Jesus and learn what it is to be merciful, namely, that it is a virtue according to which we take pity on our neighbor in his misery. Such misery, however, as we have said, is twofold. It is bodily misery to be sick, poor, and the like. If you find such misery in your neighbor and are moved by it to help him even at your own injury, you do right and well. You have not merely served your neighbor, but also God, who will reward you. Spiritual misery consists in sin, such as disobedience, negligence, offensive words, and works. It is mercy earnestly to correct and rebuke our subordinates. If it is in vain, then commit the rest to the executioner, for punishment must be inflicted. For the executioner also is a preacher of mercy, because the wicked will not hear nor be counseled. They ruin themselves and others if mercy is not shown them, and they are not restrained by the sword. Therefore, it is a work of mercy to decapitate or to hang, though it may hurt and seem to be terrible. If this were not done, you would not be able to eat a bite in peace, nor keep a spot on, of your skin sound. Therefore, learn to be merciful, everyone in his calling, and help in all misery, not merely in bodily, but also in spiritual, wherever you find it. These are the two doctrines of the gospel of today. 
The first is a doctrine concerning faith and teaches us not to be afraid in misfortune, especially when we come to die, but to remember that in the Lord Jesus we have a Savior whose hand is almighty. Therefore we should never despair of his grace. Of ourselves and others we may, yes, must even despair. In death they can do nothing. For them it is too powerful. In God, however, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, we have reason even to glory. Whatever we cannot do, he can do, and whatever we have not, he has. If we cannot help ourselves, he can help us, and is desirous of doing it, as we learn from the text. Whoever cleaves to the Lord Jesus in all confidence performs the right kind of service, which is pleasing unto God. Those who are discouraged and despair are his enemies and do not consider him to be God, else they could also comfort themselves. The other doctrine teaches us, like Christ, to have compassion on our neighbor in his misery and to help him. May God our Lord grant us his grace to learn both, and with the good people in the text, praise the Lord Jesus for his benefits in all eternity. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's sermon for the text, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, the raising of the widow's son at Nain. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, giving you the Luther Sermon Podcast. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast or to hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org.